Good morning and welcome to GCCC. God is inviting us today into his presence as always, even as we're virtual. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, a season when we put specific remembrance on the sacrifice of Christ who gave himself over to death for our sake. Part of our remembering Christ's death for us is us dying too, not literally, but letting go of a life separate from him. The Bible says that this life that we're letting go of is an old life, which in fact has died. As we think about these things, we're going to sing a couple songs to God together, and Rebecca will lead us in prayer. Michelle and Andrew will also share a brief testimony. And we have a guest speaker today, Thomas George, who's been with us for a couple days for our men's retreat. He'll be giving us a sermon from the book of John. The Pang family will lead us in an acclamation, a summary of Christ's story, and I'll be back again as we take communion and we are sent out from this worship. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And this is a song we'll start with. God is the strength of my heart. 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 God is the strength of my heart.
Watch and pray, find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Amen. During this season of Lent, we focus on how we have died with Christ. Not literally dying, but letting go of our old life, habits, and loves apart from Christ. Two Bible verses will guide us today. One is Psalm 73:26 from earlier, and the other is Jeremiah 2:13. We'll repeat Psalm 73:26 together as we pray. So when I say, my flesh and my heart may fail, please say, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And these are God's words in Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, 
and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Let's pray to God the Father together, and we'll show an image of Christ in case that helps you pray, along with the words from Psalm 73. Let's pray. Father, we come to you with Christ your Son, Christ our brother. We hear you say how people make these two mistakes together. We forsake you, we don't honor you, we don't seek you, we don't acknowledge you, and we try to find meaning and happiness on our own without you, even though they can't deliver the things we want and need. We are turning from these two mistakes again now. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we put away things of a life apart from you, things that don't deliver what we really want and need. We put away lust, we put away greed, we put away hatred and bitterness, we put away impatience, we put away despair, we put away isolation and a lifestyle of withdrawing from others. We confess that these do not give us the life you have made us for. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, we take up again today a life with you. We take up a life of self-control. We take up com contentment and generously caring for others. We take up forgiveness and patience. We take up hope. We take up life together with others. This is our life in Christ. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, let us know your kindness, your comfort, your understanding of us, your forgiveness, and your love, which led you to send us Jesus, who died to make us one with you. And even when these things are beyond our comprehension, let us give these things to others freely and openly. Let people feel understanding and kindness from us, receive comfort and help from us, and gain knowledge of your love through us. As we have found incredible love in you, let us give love like yours to others. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And church, please just take a moment to just be reverent before God. You don't have to say anything out loud or in your mind. Just be humble and reverent, knowing that God forgives and heals. He takes us out of an old life and gives us new life in Christ. Um, you can close your eyes, or if you keep them open, we will um, keep that image up for you just to look at. John in 1 John says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
Amen. The peace of Christ, our advocate to all of you. Um, if there is anyone um, physically with you, um, or if there is someone you can message, or um, you know, just even using the um, chat um, in this live stream video, um, could you just please say to one another, the peace of Christ to you? And um, finally, we would just like to welcome everyone to um, our virtual service this Sunday. Um, even though we are not physically together, it is so good to still be together um, virtually. Um, and like we have been saying um, lately at our Sunday services, um, it is better together. And so last Sunday, Jared and Victoria um, at Arlington shared about their experiences of life with Christ being better together. Um, and today, another very beloved couple in our church, Andrew and Michelle, they are going to tell us about their recent experiences um, with better together. Hey church, in this theme of better together, uh, Michelle and I wanted to share a little bit about what that means for us. My name is Andrew. I've been going to this church for about five years, and Michelle has been a little bit longer, seven, eight years for her. And we have come to love this community. And so the past 12 months have been a very interesting time for us, um, both life transitions and our interactions with the community. Yeah, so Andrew mentioned um, we had a, our son um, about eight months ago. Uh, Nolan was born at the end of June. And so when he was born, we made the decision to move in with my parents who are physically um, in Delaware. So um, while only a few hours away, um, you know, we had to actually just pack up everything um, and move over there. And um, we spent about six to seven months um, when, yeah, right after baby was born. And we mainly did that so that we could get the extra help, which we were so grateful for, for my parents. Um, but it did result in us having to move away from community. And so um, Andrew's gonna talk a little bit about, um, you know, why we decided to move back and, you know, really how we're grateful for this community, um, even though, um, it's been a big transition that, you know, it's really, um, better together with community. So about a month ago, we officially moved back, back as in, in Virginia. And that was, um, it's been one of the, the greatest times just reconnecting with our church, virtual Sundays. It's just not the same compared to being here physically in person, worshiping, hearing the word together, even seeing our son interact with all the other babies at church have been such a blessing. Um, we, don't think we'd want to make any changes from being here in person ever again. We love this church so much. Uh, we, we're, we're looking at different ways we can connect and in, in, in how we can serve moving forward, even with our son. And, and I hope that as we are here physically, we can interact more with um, any newcomers or anyone that's been here for a long time. Um, just being physically here in person has made so much of a difference even in just this past month compared to the six months that we were away and we're really looking forward to journeying through better together on uh, this time of easter with the rest of our church thanks bye-bye
Uh, thanks, Andrew and Michelle, for sharing with us this morning. We are so encouraged by what God's uh, doing in your life and what God is teaching you. We also want to just pause and thank those of you who organized our men's retreat this past weekend. We were so blessed by what God uh, God was doing, and we're blessed by you uh, as you served us. So, so thank you. Praise God for your uh, behind-the-scenes uh, service to our men this weekend. Uh, let me go ahead and highlight a few things that are happening in our church community. Um, we continue to pray on Tuesdays over Zoom, and so I just want to encourage us to come out to that. It's uh, just a great opportunity to just pray together. Uh, again, we believe that prayer is the heartbeat of our church body and, and, and ministry in, in many ways. And so uh, if you are available, I want to encourage you to come out and join us, uh, especially during this Lent season. Um, yeah, or just let me highlight also that we will be focusing on praying for our families and children uh, this coming Tuesday. So uh, yeah, please come out and join us for that. Um, baptism service is happening on May 14th. The baptism service is... Um, probably the the main or the highlight of our our ministry uh ministry year and uh, i just want to encourage you to participate it will be a joint service at marshall high school there will be a lunch afterwards but it's a way for us together celebrate what god is doing in our church community as we see people uh, publicly profess their faith and uh, dedicate themselves to following Christ. And so it's always uh, an encouraging time. And so, yeah, this year we'll, we'll be doing this together as one church. And so, uh, yeah, please mark uh, May 14th down on your calendars and plan to uh, join us. Now, if you do want to get baptized, we have a baptism class uh, happening or starting in April 9th. Uh, and so, again, if you are interested in getting baptized, um, yeah, April April 9th, uh, please register and we'll kind of walk with you uh, about uh, kind of talking about what baptism is and how to prepare uh, for baptism. Uh, so, again, if you're interested, please register uh, online. Let me uh, let's well, go ahead and and pray for our offering this morning. And so let's let's do that together. Dear God, thank you. Thank you so much for all the blessings that you've uh, given to our church community uh, this past week and even at, at our men's retreat. Uh, just, just thankful to be together, uh, to hear your word and um, encourage one another. We're thankful for just all the things that you're, you are doing, both things that we see, but also things that we don't uh, see. We, at this time, want to offer up our offerings to you, knowing that all good things come from you. So we pray that uh, this is pleasing before you. We pray that you would use our offerings to further your kingdom and bring more people to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, lastly, just want to just want to introduce our speaker this morning. Uh, his name is Pastor uh, Thomas George. Uh, he was our a speaker at our men's retreat. Um, we were so blessed by him. Uh, he uh, actually worked as a, a, not only a pastor, but as a counselor for many years. And he really has a heart for men and really helping men to thrive and, and really live out their calling. So we were really blessed to have him this past uh, weekend. He will be speaking to us uh, this morning. So I know we, we are doing this online, but uh, let's have our minds and our hearts open and see what God has for us this morning through our speaker. Again, our let me introduce to you uh, Pastor Thomas George this morning. Uh, 
Good morning, family. It is good to be with all of you this morning. Our passage for the day is from John 5, verses 1 through 15. John 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this morning we are asking for you to speak into our lives through this account of the man whom you healed at Bethesda. Lord, um, by your Spirit, would you use me? By your Spirit, would you stir our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Sheep Gate is the pool that is by the Sheep Gate is called Bethesda. The House of Mercy is the name of the pool. Uh, this man had been there 38 years, it says. Any guesses at what the average uh, lifespan was for a male during this time? About 40 to 45 years. He had literally lay there at, by this pool because of this illness for a lifetime. So, I ask a lot of questions when I'm reading scripture. So, uh, my question is, so was he old now? Or, or was he taken there when he was much younger? We can deduce from the rest of the passage and Jesus' comments to him that he was probably at least past the age of responsibility, of accountability when he was a, a, a afflicted. But it is a guess based on what comes later. It's not really pertinent, but I ask a lot of questions of Scripture. He is lying there because of a Jewish legend. 
When the pool was stirred, the Jews believed that an angel was actually doing the stirring. And so they believed that anyone who got to the pool first would receive healing from whatever power it was that stirred the water. So he was waiting there for his chance to get in there first. But it's clear that he had given up on this hope as well as he tells Jesus, there's no one to help me, it's no use, basically. Jesus saw him, scripture says, and learned. That's a curious statement in itself. The all-knowing all God in earthly form, in human, as a human, he learned. From whom? That the man had been lying there for a long time. Jesus initiates a conversation with this man. Don't you wonder what's going on around the pool while this conversation's happening? How many were there listening in on the conversation? How, how many others were needing healing? How many people did Jesus pass by or, or have to walk across on his way to this one man? And why does Jesus go just to this one man? It's curious, right? Then a question. A piercing, lay everything wide open kind of question. Do you want to get well? Now, I don't know that I would be rude to Jesus, but if I were this man, um, perhaps my response would have been, duh? I, I, I don't know if he had some kind of sarcastic response to this. It seems kind of obvious to ask this question, but Jesus doesn't ask silly questions. Do you want the healing I offer? Do you want to get well? Jesus' life in this man's life, a new life, a full life, not just walking. You know, this kind of healing, this kind of complete healing has a cost. There's at least three cost factors to this man. The first is recognition. He was going to have to find out who he was for the first time in his adult life. Do you know how hard that is? When society and you yourself had taken on the identity of a sick man. Those of you who have had prolonged illnesses or have family members who have prolonged illnesses, you understand. Or, or the identity of a prisoner or the identity of a helpless person, a victim. This man was going to have to do the hard work of learning who he was now. He has been the invalid for 38 years. Now what? The second thing that's a cost factor to this man is reorientation. He, he was going to have to find out what living looks like 
What was it like for this man who was by the pool for 38 years? What was the real world like? The world that he knew when he was younger is not the world that he's going to re-enter. Our missionaries go away for three to four years and come back to America and they're in shock. I remember the story of one missionary who said he went into the store to buy Kool-Aid. A uh, half hour later, his wife had parked the car and came inside looking for him because she thought something had happened to him. But when she got in the store, she found him standing in front of a wall of Kool-Aid trying to figure out what it is he should choose. It was so hard to make just a choice with the kind of options we have with Kool-Aid. What was it like for this man as he tried to learn to live life again in a world that had completely changed around him? The third cost factor that I can see is responsibility. I love Dallas Willard's definition of responsibility. He, he says responsibility simply means that we are response-able. I have to do something about what I see because now I am able to do this. His illness had deferred his ability to respond. Jesus was now going to make him response-able. He was going to be responsible to find a job, find a home, figure out how to cook and care for himself. He was going to have to deal with the emotional angst, maybe resentment and anger with friends and relatives who dropped him off and eventually abandoned him there. He was going to be responsible for his actions and the consequences of those actions. He couldn't blame the illness anymore. In this passage, he was immediately caught up in controversy, right? With the religious leaders. Why are you carrying your mat? He was immediately responsible to keep the law in regards to Sabbath. But family, we know that this is the gospel, right? We who were dead in our sins, helpless, hopeless, have been given a new life in Christ through the cross and his resurrection. A new life in Christ as his disciple. Jesus is not offering us a patch, but a whole new life. When Jesus brings healing, cognitive, physical, emotional, and spiritual, this is his life in us, given to us, a new life, a new start, a complete change. Paul writes to the Corinthian church addressing these same issues. They seemed eager for the gospel, but did not seem to grasp its implications. Paul connects the dots for them, that this new life that God offers is an in-Christ life. Listen to him in 2 Corinthians 5, 16-20. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, Paul writes, be reconciled to God.
Jesus had disciples who were waiting for all kinds of things. They were waiting for political healing, spiritual healing, physical healing, relational healing. They wanted Messiah to set their issue right. He is clear to tell his disciples that if they want in on this in Christ life, it's about everything and the cost is high. To be a disciple of Jesus, you will have to recognize your new identity. Paul writes, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Who I was has died with Christ. I have to learn to live my new identity. I have to learn to live in my new identity. Who I am in Christ is how I live my life. The old has gone. The new has come. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Imagine that message to us as Americans. You're not your own. That's a slap in the face, right? You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Recognize your new identity is the first cost of living as a disciple of Jesus. The second cost to be a disciple of Jesus was reorientation, is reorientation of our lives. The way that I look at all of life has changed. I have to learn to live again. My new identity comes with needing to learn how to live. I don't look at people the same. I don't look at life the same. I don't look at the moments or my days the same. Everything has changed. I'm not who I was. And how I see the world must change in every part of my being. To be a G disciple of Jesus, Paul writes, there is responsibility that comes with it. As God's agent in this world, I am now response-able. I have a responsibility from God. I am responsible to be God's ambassador. All of my life is His. There are no casual conversations with anyone. If I'm at the grocery store, I'm there as an ambassador of Christ. If I'm speaking with my neighbors, I'm there as an ambassador of Christ. Let me get a little bit more uncomfortable. If I'm driving on the highway, I'm an ambassador of Christ. Every conversation is filtered through the reality that I am a representative of the Lord whom I follow, Jesus. On Facebook, on Twitter, in my home, in my workplace, grocery store, the church, it makes me responsible for how I live my life going forward. Choosing to live in sin or in ways that bring pleasure and recognition that God is in the room. Choosing to live His design for my life or my own design. It makes me responsible to care for others even when I don't want to, to forgive and work through things as much as it is up to me. To love, to show grace, the same grace that I was shown. To be Christ in the life of others. To give forgiveness to those who hurt me, even those who may have abandoned me. Some of you, like me, understand this kind of separation, even from your closest family because you chose to follow Christ. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal to through us. We have no option. We are responsible to take care of them, even when they abandoned us. 
This is what it means to live as a disciple of Jesus. Over the last three years, I've been asking if the lack of discipleship is what we have seen in the church through COVID. COVID and politics and all kinds of fear, anxiety, and the chaos of the last few years has, has actually revealed our failure in discipleship. One author wrote a long time ago, what you win them with is what you win them to. It may be that we invited people to a gospel that requires no recognition of new identity, no reorientation, and definitely no responsibility. Sadly, we as the church have looked like everyone else. We say anything we want to, we do anything we want to, we feel justified about abandoning anyone, including our church families. And we cancel anyone who doesn't agree with us. Why is it that the world is lecturing us about racial reconciliation? Or about loving one another? Our Lord is the master at these things. What have we lost? The gospel we have preached and believed seems to allow Jesus to just get comfortably added to who we are. That is actually syncretism. The other God is us. Paul reminds the Colossian church, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Just in case you didn't catch it. It says, when Christ, who is your life, not a part of your life, who is your life, appears. That's Colossians 3, 4. Lordship does not allow us to just add Jesus to our lives. He is our lives. It's interesting to me how the story ends. Jesus shows back up to talk with this man after the authorities had questioned him. Jesus reveals who he is and he tells him, do not go back to your old life of sin. We are not told what the sin is. We understand that he was afflicted because of the sin. Scripture is clear that all illness is a result of original sin. Please hear me, church. Scripture is clear that all illness is a result of original sin. Adam's sin. Adam's sin brought every kind of death into the world. Some illness is because we live in, in a broken, death-filled world. Viruses, cancer, Alzheimer's. Some death is because of sinful actions of others that have effect on us. Abuse, chaos, drunk drivers. But other death is specifically because of, other death is because of illness and misery that comes specifically because of our own personal sin. In this particular case, Jesus tells him clearly, do not go back to your life of sin. In fact, Jesus only does this twice. In the Gospels. I, I know that, that when we approach people who have been suffering with illness, we need to do that with grace. And unless the Lord has revealed something prophetically to you that this was about their sin, please don't cause harm in their walk with God by suggesting explanations that you do not know for sure. Those of you who have struggled with long illnesses, you know the questions that many times loving brothers and sisters ask you because they think that all illness is somehow because of your personal sin. 
That is not what we see in the gospel. And this is one of two instances where Jesus actually points that out being the case. Do you see what the man does right after this conversation? He reports Jesus to the authorities. Does that make you wonder why? Uh, please notice that no one comes to him. They're not coming to question him again. In this situation, he goes and turns Jesus in. Jesus confronts him and tells him to live the new life he has received. And he understood what Jesus was calling him to. He turns around and betrays Jesus. The cost of healing was apparently too much for this man. He, he wanted healing, but not what came with it. Maybe he didn't want to give up his sin. Maybe a new life is not what he wanted. The pain of not being accepted by others. Maybe the loss of his fame. That is his security and predictability of being the invalid. But now it's gone, right? We don't even know why he betrays Jesus. We're left to wonder, but it seems like the man was losing a lot. He liked the healing, but he didn't want Jesus. How about us? Do we want healing of whatever kind that Jesus offers, but not him? When the cost of living the new life that Jesus has called us to overwhelms us, will we also turn him in? Will we walk away? Brothers, sisters, do you want to get well? pray together. Lord Jesus, we know that you offer healing of all kinds. We also know that that healing comes with new lives in you. Would you, Lord, teach us to recognize and live into the new identity that we have in you? Would you, Lord, reorient our lives to show us when we are trying to reorient you to us instead of reorienting our lives to you. Would you help us, Lord? Help us to be responsible for living this new life that you have called us to as your ambassadors. Lead us, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us and work in and through us. We cannot do this in Christ life without you. Lord, I know you can meet us where we are. You're speaking to us now. Help us to hear. Help us to think these things through in the coming days and live our lives you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Brothers, sisters, wonderful to be with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Bye-bye.
Hey church, this is the Penny Family version 2023. There's a short saying or summary of Christ's life that we often say during the Lent and Easter season, and it goes like this. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we remember and we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So if you're a follower of Christ, uh, we invite you to find bread uh, or something like it, and wine or juice. And as we eat and as we drink, affirm who we are in Christ, that we belong to him, that um, our stories in him uh, are about healing, that we are actually in Christ's story of healing and redemption and love. So let's take, let's eat, let's drink, and um, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. from Jesus flowing among us running like one changing all of sickness evil and lies we see we feel we speak we heal we see we feel 
Jesus, you are our Savior, you'll redeem all things when you return. Till then, Lord, in your mercy, you give us tastes of your healing love. You see, you feel, you speak, you As we go from here, go with healing as healers. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next Sunday back in Pentagon City.